We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Packaday Podcast. You can get all your Packaday updates by following us on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, you can always check us out over at CheeseheadTV.com. My name is Andrew Mertig, and I am running the show solo today. They have given me the responsibility. And if you haven't had a chance to listen yet, Aaron Nagler joined Kyle and myself on my regularly scheduled show on Friday, uh, which would be yesterday. And so um, if you're looking to get a, some, some updates in the first four weeks of the season and the torrid start the Packers are off to, go check that out where the godfather of Cheesehead TV, or one of the godfathers, Aaron Nagler, joined us and, and we had just an absolute riot. But I wanted to take today's show in a little bit of a different direction and talk a little bit about the 2020 draft. So I'm going to hit on the Packers draft class. I'm going to hit on some of the grading that I did um, because obviously I'm a pretty big draft guy. And then I wanted to take just a tiny bit of a sneak peek forward and take a look at some players in the 2021 draft that you might want to keep an eye out for on, of all days, today, Saturday. So um, the first place that I'm going to start is the Packers draft class and and you know it's the bye week and so I think this is the perfect time to analyze the Packers draft class and how that lined up with my prospect rankings from this past draft season 
normally I would love to do this in the middle of the season, but of course the Packers have an early bye this week. So um, some of this is going to be based on some very preliminary results. This was the very first year that my uh, NFL draft rankings went up to 200. So in the past, I've rated prospects, but typically I've stuck with the first and second round um, and then kind of let the experts do some more of the deep dive. I might have hit on a prospect here and there that I thought was interesting, but overall I wasn't doing large grading scales. And so this year I really, I really took the time and um, made sure that I had a deeper understanding of uh, what I thought to be the top 200 prospects in the draft. Now, obviously, the draft didn't go exactly in, in order of where I had players rated, but, um, you know, in comparison, I thought, like, there were some definite things that I could learn from to change my scale because I take the players, I do film grades, and then I readjust them based on positional value, based on age, based on their relative athletic scores, where I thought that they would line up in accordance to Brian Gutekun's desires of players. Now, we didn't have a huge sample size, right? We have two previous draft classes to, to go based on, and then, of course, we have Ted Thompson's catalog of draft prospects, and, and we can make some assumptions that Brian Gutekun has some things in common with Ted Thompson, but not draw exact parallels. So, you know, this, this class was highly criticized early, and we haven't really seen much production from the top three picks. And, and that gets even worse because of the injury news of Jos- Josiah DeGuara. The, the best player in this class so far has actually been undrafted linebacker Chris Barnes. But actually, you know, if you look forward to the second three quarter or the, the last three quarters of the season, there's a lot of promise from guys like Kamal Martin, Jonathan Garvin, Vernon Scott, and John Running Jr. Guys that are getting playing time and showing little glimpses here and there of stuff that they can do. So I will I will be the first to admit I only had four Packers draft picks in my top 200 prospect rankings. So there were a few that I missed out on. Um, I want to start from the top of my rankings. And number 41, this might seem a little bit embarrassing, but was actually the Packers' seventh round pick, Jonathan Garvin out of the University of Miami. And obviously, I valued him about as high as anybody else in the draft process. Um, He had a 9.04 RAS score. He was only 20 years old at the time that he was drafted. That shot him way up. Give him a lot of bonus points. He's taken 48 snaps on defense so far and posted pretty respectable scores. But what I really love is that he's got so much room to grow. And he really brings a different skill set to the Packers' edge rush room of the big heavier guys. Um, We certainly have a lot of athleticism, but maybe not the quick twitch kind of player that John Garvin can be. So there's a ton of potential there going forward. I know I had him ranked way too high, um, but there were a lot of other people that really, really liked that pick and didn't necessarily see him dropping that far in the draft. At number 55 overall, I had Jordan Love. Um, and obviously, when you take a quarterback, you're going to assume as a listener, I had this guy rated as a late second rounder, so trading up in the first kind of looks bad. Um, but this is what my draft profile said about the Utah State quarterback. He has tons of natural gifts, cannon for an arm, tremendous athlete, but is very much pass first. Will make phenomenal throws and also miss some easy ones. Interceptions are often a result of inaccuracy rather than poor decision making, though he did miss an underneath zone defender from time to time. He has a loopy throwing motion that may need to get corrected. He doesn't process the defense particularly well, but can keep the play alive. 
His footwork gets sloppy. You can absolutely see what gives Scout so much hope for love, but he will be a serious project for a team that could potentially pay off huge dividends. So people get upset when, when you take a player as high as the Packers took love when the plan is exactly not to play him. But if they can fix some of the mechanical issues and speed up his decision-making process, really similarly to what Mike McCarthy did for a very raw Aaron Rodgers, this pick could be an absolute out-of-the-park home run. And if nothing else, it seems to have been part of the motivation for Aaron Rodgers this season. So we will see. I don't think, you know, if a team is going to draft a quarterback, my having him him rated at 55 and going in the first round is to be expected because I think that positional value really, really shoots him up the board. At number 95, I had John Runyon Jr., and I did grade him as a tackle because that's what he played primarily in college. Um, but coming out to Michigan, I, I think it, regardless, he is a great value in the sixth round. He posted a really strong 71.3 grade so far, according to Pro Football Focus, with a tremendous 80.3 pass blocking grade. And granted, it's only 23 offensive snaps, but when you get thrown into the fire so early in your career with absolutely no preseason, I think you have to just make the assumption that Runyon has a really promising career in front of him. Now, there's lots of things that can change, but you expect rookies to struggle especially when they're having to to be forced to play with no preseason reps and um, really, you know, thrown in the game with with an injury situation and running did nothing but step up. And for me, that's really promising. At number 98 overall, I had running back A.J. Dillon out of Boston College, and I really liked A.J. coming into the draft. I thought he, I, I was actually pretty high on him as a borderline third-round pick, so the Packers taking him in the second was a bit of a surprise. Um, so far, he only has the eight carries on the season, but his pro football focus grade is fantastic, 86.7 grade. So he's making the most out of the limited opportunities that he's getting. So in my opinion, I think we are going to see an increased usage as the season goes on, and Dylan has a chance to prove that I was even too low on him, like the majority of other draft pundits. I also wanted to take a little bit of time to widen the scope of this activity a bit and go through what pre-draft rankings I had, you know, for players across the NFL that were either drafted way higher by the league than I had them rated or drafted really far after where I had had them rated. And we've seen a couple of examples of, of that so far, but, you know, I was inspired. And Andy Herman always does a marvelous job talking through his in-season Packers grades. And, and I'm hoping to unveil a little bit more about my process, be a little bit more transparent about what I'm looking at, and then just taking an honest look at where I've hit and where I've missed. And, you know, as much as four games can tell you so far, um, but I may not get a chance to do this again until the end of the season with Packers hopefully playing every single week um, up until they win the Super Bowl. So I, I really wanted to take a deep dive into this. And, and when I took a look at, at players who went much earlier than I had them rated. The The first one that stuck out to me was uh, tackle Austin Jackson from USC, who went 18th overall to the Dolphins. I had him rated as my 96th overall prospect. And I know I even had a little bit of uh, some Twitter fights uh, with, with other draft folks across the internet that, that I really did not like Jackson very much, and a lot of people had him rated very highly. There were a lot of people who thought he would be a really good fit for the Packers, but I gotta be honest, I didn't like him 
at all. I, I, I just didn't think his movement skills were good enough to make up for a lack of strength, and so far his career is off to a very rough start. He's played 244 snaps, which is good that he's playing, but he has a 49.8 grade from Pro Football Focus, which is just simply not good. Of course, he's still very young. He's four games into a season. He had no preseason. Nobody's you know, saying that he's a bust already, but the Dolphins are going to give him the opportunity to play based on his draft position, but he has to start earning that a little bit more. Um, I personally am just really happy that he is not a Green Bay Packer because I thought that this was going to be an issue for him for a while until he figured it out. The The second pick I want to talk about was actually the very next pick in the draft, and that was at 19 overall. The Las Vegas Raiders took cornerback Damon Arnett from Ohio State. I had Arnett rated as my 111th prospect, and I know a lot of draft people across the internet were very surprised by this pick. You know, to me, he's an older prospect, so he gets dinged for that. He's 23 years old. He didn't have particularly good athleticism. I thought, quite frankly, he was living off the reputation of what past Ohio State cornerbacks were, and that ended up making him a a lot more overrated than he should have been. And, you know, I guess the Raiders look at things a little bit differently. They love tough guys. They love guys who have played a lot of high-level college football, and Arnett certainly checks both those boxes. So far, he has a 58.7 pro football focus grade overall. You know, his 73.9 run grade is actually boosting him quite a bit, so that's an area where I thought he would be pretty good, and he has been so far. But his, his pass coverage rate is just not up to snuff. And again, all of these things come with an asterisk because it's really early in the season, but these are guys, when, when I'm watching NFL Red Zone or I'm watching games around the NFL on a Sunday, these are the players that are really sticking out to me. The third player that I wanted to talk about that went way earlier than I thought, and, and this one was a surprise to just about everybody, but on the other hand, not at all, because John Schneider and Pete Carroll just do their own thing in Seattle. They do not care what other teams are you know, going to grade players at. They, they go and they draft their guys. Unfortunately for them, they have not had a lot of success in the first round. Um, and this year, at 27 overall, they took linebacker Jordan Brooks. I had him rated as 113. So it's funny, these guys kind of went in a cluster in the first round. I had him sort of rated in a cluster as more of late, third, early fourth round picks, and, you know, Seattle's going to be Seattle. They're going to buck the trend of the draft pundits, and, you know, so far, Jordan Brooks hasn't been very good, and their draft record hasn't been very good. He has a 41.1 pro football focus grade. That's terrible, um, but he's only been on the field for 29 snaps. Now, my main concern, if I'm a Seahawks fan, is that our first round pick at linebacker, this is a position that you expect to be on the field very quickly, has only been on the field for 29 snaps thus far. Now, you know, of course, Packer fans are going to be able to throw Chris Barnes in the face of everybody because he has a higher grade than Patrick Queen, than Kenneth Murray. So that's the exception. But I would hope, you know, if I'm going to take a linebacker really high, that they are going to at least be on the field, even if they're learning while they're doing so. So on the flip side, I wanted to take a look at some of the prospects that I had rated really high and then ended up getting drafted much later. And so the first example is a guy that I just fell in love with, and that was TCU offensive tackle Lucas Niang. I had him as my 19th overall prospect. And when Kyle and I had Ben Solak from the the Draft Network on, he agreed with me that this was his, 
his offensive tackle four. I was really excited about Niang. I thought he might be a possibility for the Packers in the first when he was available in the second. I was really excited because I thought that's exactly where they were going to go. When he was available in the third round, I had kind of given up hope because I just didn't think that they were going to take him. And sure enough, Lucas Niang goes in the third round, 96 overall, the Kansas City Chiefs. I saw him as a mauler at tackle. His college injury history certainly is what caused him to slide on the draft board. It's not, a, it's not what he put on tape. But he was taking two picks after Josiah DeGuerra, so that one hurt me personally a little bit. Um, the thing is, Niang has not taken a snap this season because he chose to opt out. And actually, you know, when I, when I look at the decision, of course, every player needs to make that for themselves, but there are some long-term positives to doing that because he's going to get a chance to get healthy from a really injury-riddled senior season of college and hopefully come back at 100% next year and be able to be really productive. The second player I want to talk about, and this is actually the second cornerback from the Las Vegas Raiders that we've talked about as, as draft picks, uh, is Amik Robertson, who came out of Louisiana Tech. I had him rated as my 25th overall pick, and he went in the fourth round at 139 overall. That one hurt. I, I, I saw so much in Robertson, like just an incredibly tough, quick, uh, very athletic slot corner. He's short, so you knew he was going to have to make a living in a slot, but I thought he had the ability to play where, where he could defend two-way routes and be really, really good in the NFL. He has had a rough go of things so far in his career. He, he, you know, he's only played nine defensive snaps, so I don't want to read too much into that, but he has a 29.5 pro football focus grade. That's not good. Um, I was watching the Raiders game when he got beat pretty badly for a touchdown in the back corner of the end zone, and so I'm sure that is really affecting his grade on so few of snaps, but I do attribute his falling down the draft boards because the NFL has a just ridiculous stance that slot corners aren't valuable. And and I I mean they they are. You look at all of the good defenses in the NFL and they have a very productive slot cornerback. So on one hand, he hasn't been very good in the very in in a lot of limited opportunities. So we'll have to see if there's something that I missed in my evaluation process or maybe this is something that you know he turns around and turns out to be a really valuable fourth round pick. The last guy that I, I was going to mention is Jonathan Garvin. And, and you may have been surprised before when I said that I had John Garvin as my 41st overall player in this draft, and he goes at 248 overall. Um, that's not good for my brand, certainly, but a really young prospect, uh, a guy who has a ton in his toolbox, but he's really just figuring out how to play football. I think if he had gone back to school... In a traditional year, COVID, of course, is, is, is affecting the college football landscape. But if he had gone back to college, he would have had a very good chance to have a positive year and, and come out in the draft next year and be, at a minimum, I think, a mid-round pick. He, he just really didn't have enough on tape yet um, for teams to move up. And so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how that ends up, but certainly my favorite pick of the Green Bay Packers. I wanted to end today's show by talking about some 2021 prospects and specifically at wide receiver. So there are times when I feel like all we ever hear about is how the Packers needed to draft a wide receiver last year and they'll never be able to win without more talent at the position. And of course, we feel great about that right now because the offense is clicking even without 
their top two weapons at wide receiver. So you start 4-0, a lot of those concerns are alleviated, and then you get emergences from players like Lazard, MPS, even Tyler Irvin, and that has really helped. But the interesting thing is, as I'm looking at these 2021 wide receivers, I think this class could actually be better than the 2021 2020 draft class was and that that's tough because at the top of that draft class you have rugs you have cd lamb and you have jerry judy and all three of those are fantastic players i'm not sure that this draft has the top end talent but when you look at the crazy depth that we were talking about last year in february and march and april this draft class might have more and, and that is a good sign because the Packers probably will be looking for a weapon. And if they have a guy that falls to them who they think is going to be a good value, I think, I think the options are going to be there. You also have the rest of the NFL having spent a lot of draft capital on wide receivers already. And so there might be fewer needs at that position. There's less time to evaluate, so there, there may be some players... Uh, who slide a little bit as well due to that. So I just wanted to talk about this because it is Saturday, and some of you might be watching college football today, uh, or you might be watching college football as we move forward. And many of these players are playing. Some have opted out. Some um, are, you know, aren't playing yet. But if you get a chance to see, I would, I would you know, maybe put a star next to some of these teams and some of these players to keep an eye out for. And the first one is Jamar Chase from LSU. He is just an absolutely phenomenal route runner, so polished for his age. He was he was clearly better um, than 2020 first round pick Justin Jefferson was, and and that's saying something because Justin Jefferson has been, um, you know, he went higher in the draft than I even you know thought he would during the pre-draft process to the Vikings, and he has shown that he has a lot of skills already. Uh, Jamar Chase reminds me a little bit of Jerry Judy, but there are some rumors that he may run in the 4-4s, which would absolutely justify some of that top five overall pick hype that he's currently getting. So he's fun to watch, probably not an option for the Green Bay Packers, but um, just a really fun player. And, and you know, if you, if you want to see how a college wide receiver should play, you want to check out Jamar Chase and LSU. The guy I like almost as much as Jamar Chase, is Jalen Waddle out of Alabama. Just crazy speed and acceleration. He's going to get some rugs comparisons because they both played at Alabama. I just don't think he's as polished a route runner as rugs. And that's when I you know, talk about this class may not have the top-end skills, the top-end players that last year's did. I think Waddle might be a little bit of a step down from rugs, um, but that's okay. Uh, th- this this guy could be special, and when you want to talk about weapons who can take the top off of a defense or take a screen pass, you know, 75 yards, Jalen Waddle is that kind of player, and, and really special, really intriguing. Again, probably not in the range the Packers are going to be drafting in, but all of this is to be determined as we get into that draft process. Rondale Moore from Purdue is just so fun. He's 5'9". He's way too light. 
you know, maybe he has a little bit of Hollywood Brown in him, at least from a size weight standpoint, but just so much fun with the ball in his hands. He, he struggles in tight coverage, honestly. He's not going to separate. He's not long enough to jump up and, and go get it, but it's rare to see a cornerback around him. And so, um, you know, if, if, if you have eyes for that gadgety player, for like an elite slot player, Rondale Moore is that guy, and it's going to be really fun to watch him leading up into the draft process. Here's a guy you're probably not going to hear a ton about, and that is Tamorian Terry from Florida State. And I have him rated higher than probably anybody else is going to. Then again, on the flip side, I had DK Metcalf rated much higher than anybody else did. But Terry is big. He's fast. He's surprisingly good after the catch. I think he's a lot more nimble than DK is. Um, just when when you watch him, it's like an explosive play after an explosive play. And all of that happens on an offense that was so, so, so bad in 2019. And really so far in 2020, you know, he's 6'4", he's shifty. You you see some times when he goes up and mosses defenders and, you know, he's going to go down the field and and has the potential to catch a, a screen pass and really, like, get past you, too. So um, there's a lot to like there. He's not always super polished in his route running, as often big, hugely talented, uh, athletic guys get lazy in their route running. Um, he does get, you know, struggle in breaks at times. He can be out-muscled or out-efforted by balls, uh, four balls by corners that shouldn't be able to match up with him. But he is fun to watch, and one of the things that stuck out to me in this, this last draft process, Florida State's offense was so bad last year that when Cam Akers got drafted the Rams, there was kind of an ongoing joke of, like, the first time he gets the ball in practice – He's going to be like, what is this? There's not three defenders behind the line of scrimmage that I have to break tackles for. And I think Demarion Terry is going to have a similar experience in the NFL in that James Blackman, the Florida State quarterback, has been so bad and so inaccurate um, that I think the first time somebody throws it to Terry and it's like in the neighborhood or like directly in his hands, he's just going to be so shocked that like, wow, football can be really easy. Uh, and he would be a super fun, fun, fun project. Um, I would, you know, love to see him in Green Bay. And of course, they love the the big, tall receivers. And um, he is going to have a very high RAS score, in my opinion. The next player I want to talk about is Devontae Smith from Alabama, a super smooth route runner, easy acceleration. He doesn't possess the strength to win a lot of like contested catching situations. And he's athletically good, but not great. So he's a guy that's going to win by being a really great route runner, by switching up those speeds um, and and really, uh, you know, using creativity to get past defenders. The next guy that I want to talk about is Amon Ross St. Brown from USC. And yeah, that is Equinemius's younger brother. Uh, he is going to be a much higher pick than Equinemius was. He has great athleticism and an understanding of angles and route running. Super dynamic with the ball in his hands. He's not always as physical as you want and, and not always great in the blocking game. But you could basically take Equinemius St. Brown's draft profile and just slap it on Amon Ra. Um, the difference is Amon Ra has a lot more on tape than Equinemius did coming into the draft. And, you know, people question a lot of things that I don't think were very fair with ESB. Um, but I, I think with Amon Ra, they're willing to look past that a little bit more. 
there is another Big Ten player on this list, and, and that is Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota. Super fast in a straight line, but he doesn't have a lot of wiggle. He he can go up and just absolutely get the ball in the air. I think, you know, I, the note I always make for guys like this is he'd be a really great rebounder in basketball because he is just going to out-compete you every time. He bullies the defensive backs after the catch. Um, so most of his run after the catch is going to come from breaking tackles and not evading them. I'm not sure if he's refined enough as a route runner to win all of the time. So like, you know, maybe he's a little bit more in that like big physical possession receiver. You know, if you want to think about an Alan Lazard in this case, um, maybe a little bit of an Anquan Bolden here too, a big physical strong guy, but he's not going to like make you miss by wiggling, but you're going to like him blocking. You're going to like him going up and getting the ball. You're going to like him in close contested situations. The next guy is Sage Surratt from Wake Forest. Super good size and strength. Uh, He has good long speed as well um, and has the ability to make impact plays after the catch, but not enough twitchiness. He has has a lot more polish as a route runner than a guy like Bateman does, um, so he makes up for some of that. Um, You know, one of the things you're going to notice, and you're going to hear about this, um, great character and intelligence. He was actually committed to Harvard at one point um, and switched his mind because he wanted to play football at Wake Forest. So Sage Surratt is going to be a very intriguing prospect, somebody that you know, you're definitely going to want in your locker room that, that also happens to be a really good football player. Maybe not the physical presence of Rashad Bateman, but um, definitely has that competitiveness, that, that uh, you know, ability to make impact plays, contested catches. I, I really like what Sage Surratt is bringing to the table. And then you have Chris Olave from Ohio State, who's a really good route runner, smooth in and out of routes. Uh, his acceleration is probably going to be better on film than what he actually tests. Uh, I'm not sure there's much deep speed there, but he adjusts incredibly well, good hands, navigates the sideline like a long-time pro. I, I actually think his sideline ability is probably the best that I've seen out of a college prospect in a really, really long time. I I don't think his athleticism trans, translates super well to the next level, but you know if you think about Another Ohio State player that was recently drafted, Terry McLaurin from Ohio State. I think Olave possesses a lot of those same traits. And so even though McLaurin isn't like a crazy athlete, um, he he just beats you. He finds ways to beat you. And again, we always possess these athletic traits higher or we 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 like think about these athletic traits as the be all end all. And and for receivers, a lot of it is about how quickly and you accelerate and how quickly you decelerate, how you change up your speeds, how you make your routes look like they're the same thing, how you deceive the defensive back with your feet. And and Olave does a lot of those things incredibly well. The last guy I'm going to talk about in depth is Terrence Marshall Jr. out of LSU. He has a super intriguing physical package, big, strong, fast, really good hands. He is strong at the catch point. He, he missed some time, so staying healthy for this season is going to be really important. Um, He's not a super polished route runner. So, you know, he's got a lot that he could learn from his teammate, Jamar Chase. I think he could potentially skyrocket up draft boards if he shows he can, he can make plays without Burrow. So if he shows that he's more than just a run past you kind of player, um, that you could see him much higher than the, you know, 10th overall wide receiver that I have him right now. Um, And, and that, that's my top 10. 
it's crazy because I looked at more players than that, and, and there's a lot of really good ones out there. Um, you know, those guys all have a chance to be picked in the first two rounds. I think some of these guys do too. There's Chaterius Atwell from Louisville, Justin Ross from Clemson, Tylen Wallace from Oklahoma State, Daz Newsom from North Carolina, Seth Williams from Auburn, Damon Hazelton from Missouri. They're, they're all really, really good. So this is going to be another stacked draft class. It, it is amazing to me how much wide receiver talent there is in college football. But then again, most teams are playing three, four, five wide receivers. And, and you're, you'll be able to see a majority of these guys in the fall. So there are certainly names. I think you're going to see a lot of these guys connected to Green Bay at some point in that pre-draft process and leading up into April. So if you want to get an early look at those guys, you got a lot of chances to do that on Saturdays this year. It's certainly fun for me to take a look at the past draft and next offseason's potential draft class, but we're going to move forward for the next 12 weeks in the playoffs with the current roster, and I am oh so excited about where Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers are going to take this team. So thanks for taking some time to nerd out with me about thoughts on the draft class and and you know potential prospects and those kind of things that I like to talk about in the offseason. And the bye week for me is the perfect time to really vent some of those things, look into them, research, watch some tape, and get re-energized for the next 12 weeks in the playoffs. But that is all the time that we have for today. This has been the Packaday Podcast. You can find me at Andrew Mertig. Remember to also follow at Packaday Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast if you like what we're doing. You can catch Kyle and myself every single Friday, and we'll be back next week to be breaking down the Packers' Week 6 matchup with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember... Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.